Let's start with prayer tonight. I need to share something with y'all that we need to be lifting up as a people. Um, Stephanie Hamilton had, I don't know if y'all know, know, Stephanie is a diabetic. She is, uh, Stephanie and Aaron just adopted the lion from Kazakhstan. They just got back from Kazakhstan just a week and a half, two weeks ago or something like that. And um, she had a diabetic seizure during the night. And uh, she, um, they had to take her to the hospital. And she didn't wake up till this morning. She was just kind of in the diabetic, I don't know that it's necessarily a coma, but kind of a stupor that she was completely asleep. And um, since she's woken up, things are not quite right. So they think that maybe she had a concussion because she hit her head. And they were up in the kitchen trying to get her some, some, something sweet four in the morning. And she, when her seizure started, she hit her head on something. And so they're trying to um, figure out what's going on there. So we want to lift lift Stephanie up. And um, we want to pray for Jake and Stephanie. They're on their way back to Kazakhstan today. So let's lift them up right now, and uh, then we'll climb into Genesis. <clears throat> Lord, tonight we want to, uh, first of all, just uh, confess that there's no ordinary Wednesday and uh, no ordinary time when your people gather. And uh, we're delighted that um, something uh, mighty happens when we engage your word and when we lay our lives bare and when we're hungry. And um, Lord, also uh, tonight we want to, um, while we confess that we trust something cool is in store, we, we want to lift up some specific people that we, you already know about but uh, we're burdened for, and we lift up Aaron and Stephanie. And uh, even the lion is just going through a transition to being here in the States and being with a new family. Uh, Lord, we just pray for your mighty hand all over that situation and pray for Stephanie that you will heal her her brain and um, her sugar levels and insulin levels and that are regulated and everything else that's going on with her right now. We just pray for wisdom on the doctor's part and... Um, we confess that you're the physician, and we just pray for your your oversight there and your mighty hand involved in that. Uh, we also pray for Jake and Stephanie and their journey home, Lord. We pray for their, their trip. We pray for safety, and um, we pray for, um, uh, I guess, trouble-free as much as possible, trouble-free travel with the kids, and uh, just pray that they've been nourished, encouraged, and edified being with their people these last few weeks. Uh, Lord, we also pray for the Roberts family and having to say goodbye to grandkids and nieces and nephews and, and all that heartache that they must be experiencing right now. And just pray that you'll minister to them especially. Lord, we turn this time over to you. We thank you so much for these words that help us understand the foundation for the gospel, uh, that help us to see how you interact with humanity and with creation and with your people. Uh, we turn this time over to you and... Um, we count it a sweet privilege to dig into the Word together. Uh, we pray these things tonight in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> We're in Genesis. We're going to be starting chapter 12, but just for the sake of uh, continuity, I want to go back and look at just a couple of verses at the end of chapter 11. I shared with you last week, I introduced you to a word that, that I haven't used before in the Genesis study, the toledote which is really Hebrew for story. And there's ten toledotes in the book of Genesis, and that's what, um, or maybe, yeah, this book of Genesis has ten toledotes. 
And these stories uh, kind of have an integrity to them. So they want to be treated together. Now the problem is this Toledoth that we've begun here is a big cat. So tackling it in one Wednesday night, you just know, you know just impossible. I mean, we, we could sit and read the scripture straight through and almost be ready to dismiss. So, uh, but I want to share with you that uh, this is one Toledoth. We introduced this, this story last week starting in verse 27 of chapter 11. So just for the sake of continuity, I'm going to begin there, and we're going to kind of climb back into the context. Okay, Verse 27 of chapter 11. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram. Oh, you know what we were going to do before we climbed into Genesis? I want to just take a moment and give you an opportunity to um, ask any questions that you might have from Sunday and from the shepherd's guide. It was a unique Sunday. Is everybody down? You just having a gloomy week? It, you know, I, I, I've gotten some emails from folks that are saying, hey, man, this just kind of, it's hard. You know, I'm, I, I got an email from somebody uh, today that, that uh, said, hey, man, I just kind of feel like I'm leaving my kids at the end of the day, just like this big downer. And... Um, I, I encourage them, and I encourage y'all, just press on. Um, that 400 years worth of slavery in Egypt was the backdrop for the Exodus. So if, 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 if Israel can do 400 years worth of slavery, we can do a week's worth of a difficult shepherd's guide and a difficult Sunday because of what's going to happen and what we're going to enjoy and celebrate and feast on on Sunday. Yeah, Steve. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everything. Right. Yep. Yeah. There's this. You know, something that I hope you saw on Sunday and that you're seeing as you climb in that shepherd's guide is you're seeing, and hopefully you've seen this before, uh, this, is, this is contemporary preaching. If people are preaching toward community, maybe Ephesians, maybe if a pastor's preaching through Ephesians, they're building community. They're saying, hey, we're members of one another. We're connected to each other. So you're seeing in kind of the, the horizontal and in the immediate, hey, we're connected to each other. But for, through this study that we had on Sunday... And what we've been studying in our Shepherd's Guide is we realize we're also connected through time, through generations. You know, and the decisions that Daddy makes splatter over onto these generations afterwards, like that guy jumping in the mud puddle. So it, it's kind of like you realize that humanity's connected and in so many ways, and especially so in the family area. And, um, man, it should just add a note of gravity to the decisions we make. And kind of processing some of these things from Sunday, I've had guys calling me and saying, hey man, I'm really thinking through some of the decisions that I've made. I'm thinking through some of the decisions that my parents or grandparents have made. And um, somebody told me today, a lot of people are unpacking their closet this week. And that's good. That's good. There's something um, liberating about that. Go ahead and climb down into that valley. Be okay with that this week, knowing that on Sunday, man, we're going to crest the peak. And you're going to understand why we're cresting the peak on Sunday. 
It's not some feel-good, positive-thinking sort of sermon. It is going to be the gospel and how that impacts shepherding and what that means to our role as shepherds and family and future and heritage and legacy and all the things that hopefully matter to us. Anybody have anything that they've been studying? Let's see, today was um, the Moloch worshiper. Kind of weird. You know, at first you're like, hey man, the guy offers his kid to Moloch. He, you know, he dies. He gets stoned. Is that what he was? He was stoned? Yeah. He gets stoned. Okay, that, that stands to reason. But then if the camp doesn't deal with it, <laughs> if the people don't deal with it, and, and if the family doesn't reckon with this man who's offered this child to Moloch, that's what they did. They sacrificed their children to this false god, Moloch. That if the camp doesn't deal with it, then it becomes the guilt of the clan which clan and family are used interchangeably. I didn't use clan very much just because people don't understand, especially in the States. The clan, you think of the pointy hats and white clothing. You know, we don't process that. That's our context, but that, that's a biblical word, and it means family. And, um, man, the whole family became guilty. Yesterday was um, Ham and Canaan and Noah. And I had a good question from Scott and Tiffany about trying to figure out, you know, was Canaan involved with that somehow? Because how did Noah know when he woke up that Canaan, you know, how, how did he know what Ham had done? And I don't really know how it happened, but he just knew whether the Lord told him. You know, Noah walked with God, so he may have had a word from the Lord somehow. Or he may have just seen the look on Ham's face, like, you know, mocking look or something like that. I saw you naked look, whatever that might look like. I don't know. You just imagine what that looked like. You know, I saw you, Dad. But he knew what his son did. And that the significance of him turning toward Canaan and cursing Canaan, man, that's, that's scary. And also realize that that started with Noah. You think, look at the systemic picture of sin right there. Noah's the one that fell when he got drunk and sprawled out in his tent. N-E-double-K-E-D, naked. You know? I know. <laughs> yeah, that's not part of the well, it's not part of the flood story. Yeah, when we're teaching our kids, you know, we uh, the rest of the like Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Any anything else that uh I say tomorrow is about 3 chapters worth of um 2nd Kings, I believe, or 2nd Samuel. 2nd Kings. And uh, it's the story of Manasseh and his wickedness and how that splattered over onto the generations after him and his grandson, Josiah. You may remember seeing, if you've read in that area for, at some point, you may remember seeing that Josiah made all these reforms, good reforms. You know this picture of the Old Testament where they take down the high places and then the next guy builds them back up. They cut down the Asherah poles and the next guy puts them back up. Josiah, man, he's cleaning house. And, um, but then God was still angry. And it had already splattered. Had to read that. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the last uh, day, Friday, last day of the week in that study, is, um, you know, just thinking about the, the firstborn of Egypt. You know, it was Pharaoh that was resisting uh, Moses' request to lead the people away. And uh, the firstborn of Egypt were taken. 
you know, think about a little kid in his, in his crib. And God took them. You need to realize that if you read that story. When I always heard it growing up, it was the angel of death took them. And it was easy to put it on this angel of death, you know, because he's like, who's that guy? That's not God. That, it's the destroyer. And God says, I'm taking them. So give it to God. Be okay with God being the one that gives and takes. Turn me down a little bit. I don't know why I've got some feedback or, or if you can affect it somehow where I don't have feedback. I'm scared I'm going to bust everybody out of here in a minute. Any other thoughts or questions about the uh, study guide? Man, I just encourage you. <laughs> Climb into it because we're going to have a cool journey together Sunday morning when we leave Egypt. Okay, let's go back to Genesis. I don't know how far I was. I'll start back at verse 27, chapter 11. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai's daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Let me just escort us back into the, the, uh, the context here. This is the introduction to this long toledote that covers chapters. What's the emphasis right there? Remember our chiasm? And Sarah was barren. That is the tension that drives the whole rest of this story. Because what you're going to hear in this promise, this covenant that God makes with, um, with Abram, when, when, when you know, God tells him you're going to do this, and then you go, oh yeah, but Sarah, Sarah was barren, then you got this big tension. <laughs> We're like, oh, well, that doesn't reconcile. Barrenness? As numerous as the sand, numerous as the stars, barrenness, uh, they just don't work together. Okay, so you've got to understand the context there. Now also, before, I, before we climb into chapter 12, look as I read. I'm just going to read the first nine verses of chapter 12. That's all we're going to cover tonight. And look for an emphasis on blessing. That's what this is about. It's about God's blessing in this covenant. He's going to bless Abram, and he's going to bless other things. So just pay attention to that. And also, uh, after we kind of cover the first couple of verses, we're going to look for seven elements of blessing. You remember what the number seven means in the Word? Usually. Not, don't get weird, and every time you see the number seven, land here. But lot, our, our fullness. So what you could say, there's seven elements of blessing here, so that would mean this is ample blessing, complete robust, chest hair, I mean, serious blessing that God is lavishing on Abram, okay? I'm going to read the first nine verses together, and then we're going to low crawl through them, okay? Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing." I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 
And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. All right, let's look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and, to your, and, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now appreciate this is the same God that said, Let there be light. And it's the same God, I'm viewing God as oneness here, that said, come follow me to the disciples. I just see a sovereign God when he says go or when he he says come or when he speaks or he says let there be, that there's some serious power behind those words. And there's power behind these words where he's saying, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. That's the same God that spoke light into existence he's telling Abram to Go. And Abram did, as he was told. He went to a place that he had never seen. How many of y'all use the internet before you go on a trip? That's the thing to do now, isn't it, man? You're going to go on a trip. You're going to go to Dallas. Man, I get on MapQuest and try and keep from getting lost. (laughs) Print out some maps, you know. You're doing some research. Abram didn't have any of that. He didn't even have a local library to go and pull out the, the atlas to figure out where he was going. God told him to, to go to a place he had never seen. Hebrews chapter 11 kind of describes what this was like or what the, this, how to kind of interpret that. You can keep, always keep a finger in Genesis 12, but we're going to look at other places in the Bible because this all Bible has an integrity. So we'll go, all go to other different places. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8. It says, by faith, Abram, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that, was, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Just the thought of going into a place that you had never been and you knew nothing about is pretty crazy to think about. It's like nothing that we can even imagine to pick up and move your family to a place you knew nothing about. And that's what he's told to do. There's an emphasis here of him forsaking all, leaving country, leaving family, leaving house. Now, in what God has asked of Abram in a picture of faithfulness, does that sound like anything you ever heard Christ say of what it meant to follow him? Let me rephrase the question as you're processing that. Did you ever hear Christ say something that sounded a lot like leave everything? What comes to mind? Huh? What did he say? Kind of the thumbnail sketch, the Brad version, Brad International version. Okay. 
All right, you have to forsake, in his case, his riches. What else? What other examples can you think of? That's the passage I was thinking of. Yeah. There's lots of examples. Let the dead bury the dead. I mean, hey, when I go, go take care of my daddy. Let the dead bury the dead. You know, I, this ministry is to the living. It's the character of his ministry is forsake all. If anyone, this is Christ's words. Just imagine this. I mean, this is God the Son. So God the Son, if he reveals the Father perfectly, then it, we'll be able to see the character of our God in the Son. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If he wants to hang out in Haran, he cannot be my disciple. If she wants to hang out in in Sodom, she cannot be my disciple. If he wants to look back after putting his hand to the plow, he cannot be my disciple. That's the character of the faith right there. He didn't ask Abram to do something unique to what he's asked us to do. It's the same thing. <laughs> That's what faith is. It's forsaking all and walking away from all of it, leaving country, family, house. I, um, there's a few different commentators that I read, and one commentator paraphrased it this way. There's an old commentator you'll see by the language. He said, I command thee, this is paraphrase, I command thee to go forth with closed eyes until having renounced thy country, Thou shalt have given thyself wholly to me. Man, that's good. Going forth with closed eyes. That's faith right there. How, how often we got to get all the details before we can make a decision? There's no faith in that. <laughs> Man, Christy and I dated for five years before we were married, four years before we were engaged, you know? Man, I asked my dad, how do you know when it's time to marry a woman? He said, well, you just can't imagine being without her any longer. And that was, that was it. But it, there was always a faith element to it because there's no way of knowing. God doesn't call you to make decisions that don't involve faith. So this is a, this is a great example of that. I come, let me read it again. I'll, I'll get you in a second, Gary. I command thee to go forth with closed eyes until having renounced thy country, thou shalt have given thyself wholly to me. There's something that's just so trusting about stepping forward with closed eyes. Isn't it? Go ahead, Gary. I read something today that's kind of uh, walking by, by sight and what you're getting from your spouse or what you're seeing in front of you or what you're experiencing or the resistance that you're facing. But the people of God do not walk by sight. We walk by it. We're, we're hearing people. We hear God's word. We hear his promises. We hear his charges. And that's what you see in Abram because he's not walking by sight because if he was walking by sight, he'd never left. It's like, hey, man, I got God's blessing all around me. That's the rich young ruler's problem. Because for him, he was interpreting his riches as God's blessing. Because that's the way it was for a whole Old Testament. God, you, know, you want me to walk away from God's blessing to follow you? You want me to sacrifice all of that to follow you? And that's, that's the picture of walking by, by faith 
Walking by what you hear and promises that you hear, not by what you see. And that's what Abram did. He walked by what he heard. Okay, in verse 2, he says, I will make, you, make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Two things that have to do with great here. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, this is great in number, because he amplifies later. You're going to be like the stars, like the sand. There's going to be a bunch of you, like a bunch of ants. But it's not just great in number, it's great in significance too. This is, a, this is an important family, an important people that I'm building here. The Shemites, the people of the name, because who's going to be the Alpha Shemite? Jesus, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I'll make you a great nation. I'm also going to give you a great name. God makes his, uh, this, this guy, he makes Abram's name great. God makes it great. Contrast that with the chapter previous. What happened at the beginning of the chapter before, chapter 11? Look back in, in your Bible. There's a heading there. What? Babel. Yeah. In Babel, they want to make a name for themselves. And right here, there's a contrast with, I'm going to make your name great. So there's a difference between God's people are letting God decide who's going to be, have a great name and who's not. The people of God are, are, are the, the people that aren't of God are the ones saying, I'm going to make my name great. Okay, it's this distinct and stark contrast here. Verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now in verses 2 and 3, we've got all seven elements of blessing. Let's pick them out. What's the first element of the blessing? What's the first phrase? I will make you a great nation. Okay, that's one. What's the next? I will bless you. Okay, that's two. What's the third? I, I, I will make your name great. Okay. The next one is you will be a blessing. The next one is I will bless those who bless you. The next one is I will curse those who curse you. There's kind of an indirect blessing in that. And then lastly, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Picture of complete, ample, full blessing. Okay, here's a question for you at this point that we've got the goods to, to answer this question. But just by looking at these blessings, who is Abram, Abram at this point a type of? Who is he a type of? Christ. Exactly. He's a type. Now, hear these words and imagine Christ. I will bless those who bless you. I will dishonor those who curse you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What's the first verse that everybody learns? Daniel's learning it right now. Well, yeah, that's, that was his first one. But usually, what's the first verse that most kids learn? For God so loved the world. That's how he loved the world. It's this picture of this corporate love where that all families of the earth will be blessed through this Christ-like, this type of Christ called Abram. There's a picture, of a great picture of it right there. Okay, in verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. All right, this word went, Abram went, is the same exact word in Hebrew that God used for go, which is kind of cool. When God says, it, it's the word halak. So when God says halak, what did Abram do? He halaked. 
<laughs> this seems like an obvious truth, but man, that's important. When God says do something, man, to do that very thing. And not to waver, not to just maybe kind of half halak, just not just ha, but get the full halak on, man. He says, go, man, I'm going to go. He did exactly as God told him to do. All right, he's 75 years old when he departs. He lived to the age of 175. This is something that I was thinking about today. Me and Scott were chewing on this and trying to figure this out. If he lived to the age of 175, him being 75, would he look like us as 75? I just don't think so, because otherwise he'd be a bag of dirt by the time he's 175. <laughs> I mean, 175, homeboy's going to look bad. All right? So I kind of did a little figuring here, and I figured out that, and also, too, Sarai's 75, too, I reckon. I mean, we don't know her age specifically, but I bet she's about his age whenever they go into Egypt, and she's a hottie. Right? And he's like, hey, man, everybody's going to they're gonna think you're hot. She's probably not like our 75. I'm just saying. I'm thinking that it's just kind of different. You know, it's like dog years or something. These, these years are different. No, the years are the same, but they must have aged a little bit differently. Because here at the age of 100, she's still beyond childbearing years. I did a little figuring, though. If... They had a baby at 100, and they lived to be 175. 100 is to 175 as X is to 80. If we live to 80, some of you math guys are going, man, this he's doing a little math. <laughs> I had to pull out my calculator. In it. Okay, then that, that, would, that, would make, that would make her 46, which is kind of pushing the envelope for having a baby. I mean, it, but I don't think their aging was the same. Maybe they just, when they got really, really old physically, like 160, you know, they just aged a little bit differently, just a little bit slower. But that's just a side note. It really had nothing to do with anything. It's just interesting numbers. <laughs> just wanted to demonstrate that I could do a little math, a little algebra still. Yeah, Steve. Ten years younger. Okay. Okay. So she would have been, um, yeah, or something. Yeah, or so. Yeah, there's a little bit different ratio there. 38. Maybe, something like that. So, interesting. Okay, verse 5. <clears throat> and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Okay, Shechem is regarded as the center of the promised land the center of Canaan, which is kind of cool because remember, he's told to halak, and what does he do? He halaks, and he goes right smack dab to the center of where he's supposed to go. <laughs> I mean, I just love the geography of that. I mean, he doesn't kind of sit out on the edge of it. I'm going to go right smack dab to the middle of where I'm told to go. It's right at the center. Now, let me ask you this. Where else have you seen an important tree? He goes right to Shechem to the oak of Moreh. In the garden. I, you know, there's no commentary from some New Testament writer that there's a connection here. But since I know my, our Bible, since we know our Bible has just an incredible integrity, I'm just thinking that the context of Abram's faithfulness and the future of a new humanity, that it's almost like this is the tree of life. 
if there's a significance to this tree. He's forsaken Haran and Ur, those places where there was the worship of the sin god, S-I-N, the moon god. He's forsaken everything God told him to forsake and in obedience, gone to where God's told him to go. He's gone to smack dab to the center of the promised land. He's walking with God in fellowship and in faith. It's almost like, to me, that's just kind of a picture of him eating from the right tree. Eating from the tree that Adam and Eve should have eaten from. It's kind of a neat picture. Now, what's the significance? Think about this. this will be, you'll have to kind of piece together some other things that, that we thought about last week and that we considered at the very beginning of the study tonight to answer this question. Okay, that's a little help, a little helper there. What's the significance about this statement? The Canaanites were in the land. Think about that. Is it Kevin? Is it Kevin? Matt. Where did I get Kevin? I saw you say something. Wouldn't you? you might have been saying, hey, when's this over, honey? Yes, they are. They are. That's, you, you, you've connected a dot there, but that's not where I was going. That's good, though. I called you totally on the spot. It's like the first time you've been here on Wednesday night. Totally <laughs> nabbed you. Yeah. What do you, what do you think, Clay? No. Well, question though. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you might be on to something. Let him dwell in the tent of Shem. Mm-hmm. And let Canaan be his servant. Mm-hmm. So did, that's not interrelated to the Canaanites. Abram going to Canaan. No, and in fact, that would be an example of a promise that's made that if we were living by sight, it wouldn't reconcile. Because in fact, they will... You know, they, they, the Canaanites are not living in as their servants. Um, they will at some point, though. Some of the, you know, once, once, the, um, once they've gone through the wilderness experience, once they've gone in to take, take the land, there will be some of the Canaanites that actually serve as their servants. Yeah. But I, I'm, I haven't made that connection here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right, but here's, but here's the thing, though. He's coming into Canaan, this promised land, this place God has promised to him, and he's made this promise to him. You're going to be great. Your name is going to be great, and this is going to be where you live, or this is going to be where your offspring live. Now, here are those things that he's promised, and then hear this statement, and the Canaanites were in the land. Exactly. Exactly. It, that it's on par with, and Sarai was barren. Yeah, you're like, okay, here, here's the deal, Abram. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you as numerous as the sand in the, in the stars. Um, you're going to live right here. This is going to be your promised land. Go to the middle of this place. And yet, Sarai's barren, and the Canaanites live in um, this, this promised land. It would be like... As if someone marched you in front of this big, beautiful mansion. And you're standing in front of this mansion. And they say, hey man, this is going to be yours. 
And you see like these, these cars parked in the driveway. There's no foreclosure sign out front. You see cars parked in the driveway and you look through the window and there's the dining room and there's a family sitting down having dinner. Like, hey, wait, wait a second. It doesn't look like it's going to be mine. But thankfully, Abram was not walking by sight. He was walking by ear by what he heard from God and he was trusting God and it was reckoning him as righteousness. See, man, that's the way the people of God are. We do not walk by sight. We don't walk by what we see. We walk by what we know and what we hear. And Abram modeled that. Now, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, this here is a... uh, I shared one of these on Sunday, a theophany. Theophany is where God appears to man. Now, he wouldn't, re- he wouldn't reveal himself in all his glory, like in Moses' case. You know, I'm going to have to put my hand over, over the cleft of the rock or you'd be completely consumed. But there is a revelation there. He's revealing himself to someone in a, in a significant way. And think about the, the, the picture of this. Abram is walking in faithfulness. And essentially, he's walking with God. He's smack dab in the middle of the promised land. And here God reveals himself to him. It just seems appropriate. It seems almost like this is kind of a, a new Eden-like relationship where man is walking in faith and man is walking with God in the cool of the day sort of relationship. And here he is, he reveals himself. Here he is in the land flowing with milk and honey, almost like an Eden. It's almost like Revelation chapter 21 where it's talking about the new city where they don't need uh, the sun or the moon for light. Because the light is provided by the very actual real presence of God and the Lamb. And that's kind of what's going on here. There's a a presence there, a very real presence in an appropriate place in Shechem, right smack dab in the middle of the promised land. Now he says, to your offspring I'll give this land. Um, There's there's a theme in this, this whole passage here about offspring, an important theme because this has to do with us. You may not realize that, but we're offspring of this promise. This obscure covenant, this thing that I have to admit to you, before tonight, I've never taught on, and I really hadn't studied a whole lot. This is so foundational to the Christian faith, yet it is so neglected. It's not real flashy and exciting, and it's hard to really imagine it invading a breakfast table or, you know, a, a dinner time or, you know, it's... it, it, it it's not real practical. You know, it doesn't help us figure out how to manage our money or something like that. Some of our problems driven Bible, driven Bible studies. But this is foundational to us understanding the gospel. This whole promise. And this picture of offspring has everything to do with us. I want to show that to you. Romans chapter 4. Keep your finger in um, Genesis. Look over at Romans chapter 4, verse 18. This land is going to be given to his offspring by a supernatural work. And this offspring, this people, is going to be raised from Abraham and Sarah's aging bodies. An unlikely source. And here's a passage that speaks to that. Verse 18. Now realize Paul's writing to Romans. What are Romans? Gentiles. Now, there may have been some Jews in this church. But they're probably mostly Gentiles. So it would be like Paul. It matters enough for Paul to teach the Gentiles that us Gentiles 2,000 years later should go, okay, I'm going to listen. 
It says, In hope he believed against hope, the speaking of Abram, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. In hope he believed against hope. Especially a, a, a Paul's way of saying that although his eyes are telling him one thing, he's trusting in something else. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's, Sarah's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's our story right there. Okay, let's go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now, let me just ask you a question, just to consider at this point. It's pretty easy. You can look back at the passage. How many altars has he built now? How many? Two. Two. And it's not like this special number or anything, but just consider that pretty much everywhere he sets up camp, he builds an altar. So worship is so central to his identity of his journey of walking with God, that it's like it's his fuel. Okay, we're going to set up camp right here. i got to make sure i got my worship set up because i got to worship the Lord wherever I am. So he's building an altar wherever he goes, like it's fuel for the journey. Now, let me share with you just three thoughts, significant theological truths from this passage that we've studied tonight. Here's the first one. This passage, just these first nine verses, and especially the first three, although God kind of fleshes out a few other things, like here in verse 7, to your offspring I'll give this land. This, this section right here is the thematic center of the first five books of the Old Testament. You understand what I'm saying? The theme attic. The, the, the whole theme of the first five books of our Bible are planted squarely on these verses. All of the movements of these books, these first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, center around the building of a people and the movement to our movement in the land that he's promised. If you think about all five of those books, they have everything to do with this passage that we just studied tonight. That's why it's so important. Okay? Second thing, the second important theological truth. The call of Abraham is reiterated through the entire redemptive story, even into the New Testament. It's not dusty and old and insignificant and irrelevant. It's been replaced, been upgraded, but it's still important. I'll give you an example. First of all, or let me kind of explain this journey to you. This promise that he made to Abram is reiterated a couple times to him later on. God reminds him of it. It's also reiterated to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah, almost verbatim in every case. I mean, talk, I'm talking years, hundreds of years over time. To Moses, to Israel as a people, and then it's also reminded, or it's, it's also used as an instrument to remind someone by Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, by Peter to the Jews in Acts chapter 3. Let's turn there and just look at that. This thing that's so just kind of uh, 
peripheral to our potentially to our New Testament faith and our contemporary Christianity is right smack in the New Testament. Acts chapter 3, verse 25. Peter is preaching to the Jews. He says, You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He reminds them of that covenant. It's reiterated. And then here Paul even shares it with the Gentiles. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. So it's all important. Turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abram, Abraham, the man of faith. This call that God gave and issued to Abram is so central to the faith that it goes throughout our Bible. And I have to confess to you, at least in my case, it's been pretty peripheral. It should be something that's central to us. Now here's one of the neatest, this is the third theological truth, and really to me is one of the coolest pictures. In the last um, couple of years, God has really developed, in this people at least, a burden for this belief being an ING sort of thing. You know, when I ask people now about their faith, my, my question is, are you believing? Now, while I care if you've prayed a prayer or walked an aisle or taken a short dip in a cool pool, those are great. But we're in a context where most of Greenville has done that, yet they're thumbing their nose at the church that Christ died for. So what does that tell you? It tells you either we have, we're dealing with an apostate church or they were never the church in the first place. And we preached a seed that was not a full seed. We preached a, a, a decisionism that was not the robust gospel of forsake all. I don't know. God will judge that in the ages to come. But given that context, this picture of Abraham demonstrating that faith is journey. Faith is pilgrimage. Think about that, man. It just gives me goosebumps to think that that's what we're on. We're on the journey of faith. We've been saying it for years, and here is a guy that embodies it. Abe's faith is expressed and realized in his movement to and his movement through where God has told him to go. That's his faith. Man, that, that is a robust picture of the faith. Our faith, too, is journey that involves living like those who have citizenship elsewhere. Like we're moving somewhere. We are on a journey somewhere. And listen, to reduce the faith, this is what you got to listen here, this is important. To reduce the faith to a prayer and a short dip in a cool pool and a pseudo-faithful record of attendance at the local church would be to reduce Abe's faith to hearing God's call, to nodding at God's call, maybe even to offer a sacrifice and then start in a club of promised land wannabes. They're inherent. Hey man, we've got first club of the promised land wannabes meeting tonight. Y'all come on. Be faithful. Man, think about that. I, it, it would be the picture of people dabbling in the promises of God but never really going and walking in them. 
while I value a prayer, and I certainly value a short dip in a cool pool, because that's no insignificant thing. While I value people that have pried their white knuckles off a part of the pew back and walked an aisle, that is not the fullness of faith. The people of God are on a journey. And if you're not on that journey, well, you do the math. I don't know what you are. You're either apostate or you were never on the journey in the first place. That's our message for Greenville. That's the seed that we're sowing into this, this decisionized context. And doing it with gentleness and respect. That's our charge. It's a unique field that we're serving in. But Abraham embodies what we're preaching to this community. What hopefully, we're in, what, what hopefully we're illustrating with our lives. A people that are on a journey. Where shepherds are leading their families through the word and in faith between Sundays. Where the people of God are engaging each other between Sundays. Where the people are a living organism. Not an organization <laughs> that see you next week. But a people that are moving together. This guy embodies it, and it's beautiful. Yeah. Isn't, isn't what you're saying then the picture of what happened to the first generation on the plains of Moab? They, they, they were the, the wannabes. Mm -hmm. They didn't go in the first time. Mm -hmm. And then God left them. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. They didn't walk forward with eyes closed. In fact, they listened to the spies, listened to the ten pansies, and they didn't reap the benefit and the blessing. That's a good example. Yep. Abram's faith demanded a ruthless abandonment of the past. That's faith. A ruthless abandonment of the past. And his faith is fueled by the citizenship in heaven. And he's looking for a city whose architect and builder is the Lord. That's our testimony too. It's got to be. That's the testimony of the people of God. We're living for something to come. Anybody have any questions or thoughts before we close in prayer? Bob. Yeah. Not replaced necessarily, but almost completed and fulfilled through the new covenant in Christ. Yeah, so it's not like it's... It's, it, it's like it's completed. Is that... Is that what, what are your thoughts on that? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Foundational. That's good. Anything else? Right, right. I think about Keith McCord that was getting reports on his cancer progressing and things like that. And 
Man, you can walk by the, the doctor's reports. You can walk by the checking account balance. You can walk by the employment schedule. You can walk by all these things, or you can just trust the Lord and step out confidently trusting Him. It's, it, it, it's not easy to do. I don't say it's, you know, like it's just something that comes natural. It's a, it's a divine resource. But We saw it in, in Keith. He died well, and he died, I believe, trusting. Man, I saw the guy living for the city to come. Yeah. The question that comes to mind, he said that you know, Shechem was the center of the promised land. Mm-hmm. Did God tell Abraham, you're the center now? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Apparently Shechem was a place of worship, a, a known place of worship, where they probably were the Canaanites worshipped. And it's funny that he went right smack dab to the, I don't know that you'd call him the enemy at that time, but he went just right smack dab into their backyard, planted his flag, you know. Let me set up a, uh, an altar to Yahweh. That's well, pretty that's awesome. Yeah, he may not have known that. I don't think he did. Yeah. He said he continued on. Yeah. At, at some point, he was in the center, and God knew he was in the center. Yeah. He may not have known. Yeah. And it wasn't important for him to know. It's a picture of being in the center of God's will, too, when you're walking with your eyes closed, that uh, there's a natural movement when you're just walking by faith, not living by what you see, but living by what you hear and what you know to be true. No matter how scary it is, no matter how damaging you think it's going to be or how it's going to cramp your plans, you just walk by his design, and then you'll find yourself squarely planted in the middle of, of his will. It's a great, great illustration. Anything else? I just think when, when you read um, Abraham's name, Halak? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's the same God that spoke, that spoke and said, "Let there be light." Just like I don't, I don't see the disciples saying no to Jesus when He says, "Come follow me." I just don't see us in the driver's seat. Uh, y'all, I mean, you'll hear that as a theme here: God's sovereignty, His complete power through and through. I'm thankful that He has to drag me to the cross. I'm not thankful He has to. I'm thankful that He does. But I know that He does, and I, I just see the same God that said, "Let there be light." Say, "Go." And he went. In, this, in the whole process of him going, and, and we can look at his sanctification route, his, 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 his car. Yeah. You know, yeah. Life is hard. It's a journey. It's, and that's the journey. Yeah. And for me, that's, I see the whole the working out of your salvation is. Yeah. That's what that is. Right. That's the fear, the fear and trembling and the. Yeah. Well, it's just certainly an illustration of it. Yeah, certainly an illustration of it. And he's called from a pagan family. Rescue, picture of rescue. Yeah. It's cool. Well, I don't think you can underestimate this much the dad who had a point where he started to say that it was Terah. Yeah. Terah had to leave Ur. Right. And that's basically modern day Kuwait. Right. He had to make it all the way to modern day Turkey. That's better than halfway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a sense, too, that Abraham got the call while they were in Ur. 
Because he said, and God had told Abraham, past tense. But yet he didn't actually step off in that until he got to Haran. And to your point, in Hebrews it says that Abraham comes from Ur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've got to see the shepherding as parallel. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there was an honoring of father in that too. Well, let me pray. Y'all uh, stay after the shepherd's guide between now and Sunday. And also, I... Something that I'm doing as we're doing as a family now that we've we've been talking about this for a long time, but it just occurred to us a couple Sundays ago. Why don't we gather our family on Sunday morning, our kids, and pray that they will engage the Lord and be sensitive to the Word and be sensitive to the preaching of the Word and the expression of our enjoyment, our enjoyifying the Lord in song. You know, why, why don't we gather and pray? So these last couple Sundays we've been praying together as a family on Sunday mornings. And uh, shepherds, I encourage you to do that. Man, don't don't underestimate that time. It could be really something that conditions the heart to receive the word, cultivates the soil. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this this journey that we're on. We're thankful that we don't have to walk by sight and we can trust you. And we're thankful that we're in your mighty hand and that our our steps are ordered and uh, that your ways are are perfect and that all things work together for good uh, for those that love you. And that your blessings are showered on those who love you for generations, thousands of generations. We are amazed at your grace and uh, your uh, uh, just your blessings and ample blessings and um, seventy times seven sort of blessings. Uh, Lord, I, we pray together, uh, thanking you for tonight and also praying and anticipating Sunday. We pray for people that might be kind of wrestling with uh, what they heard Sunday, wrestling with the shepherd's guide this week that uh, some of these deep and troubling truths will be um, an itch that is scratched on Sunday in worship and uh, that the gospel will be understood in a way like never before and, and enjoyed in a way like never before. Uh, Lord, we enjoyify you tonight and uh, we just appreciate your design and your plan and we thank you so much for the word and what it shows us, what it reveals to us. Uh, we just love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all.